0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast sponsored by the IBCA. We are a global podcast that shares the passion for the coaching profession. You will hear the stories of coaches from all around the world. We are covering the profession in game, outside of the game, and anything in between. As always, thank you for listening. We look forward to sharing the coaches' stories with you. All right, we are back with another episode of the After the Timeout podcast with St. Lawrence head football coach, Adam Nissen. We are very excited to have coach on. Coach, we usually like to start everybody with what we call the opening tip, as we have a lot of basketball coaches, but for you, it's going to be the opening kick. Okay. So first, we are going to start off with kind of just take us through your coaching journey. You've actually had a very unique journey that we're going to delve into in the first half of the show, but kind of just take us through your journey and uh, how you got to where you are today. Sure. So, I um, mean, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in Iowa. Um, I actually moved
1: to Chicago or the Chicagoland area in 2006. Um, you know, did my student teaching in Chicago, Chicago public schools. Um, and right away I got involved in coaching, uh, coaching football. Uh, my first job was at Clemente high school, um, kind of on the the near West side of Chicago. Um, was there for two years. It was kind of my first taste of Chicagoland football. Um, as I said, kind of growing up in Iowa, football is very different. Uh, um, just the geography is very different. So it was kind of a, a welcome to Chicago moment, um, you know, when I got my first coaching job out there. Um, from there, um, I got to Urban Prep, uh, which is an all boys charter school in Englewood, um, was there for about five years, um, had a lot of success there. So we, I was there for five years. Uh, we took a um, team that historically really hadn't done much. Um, they started their program in 2010. So I got there right when their, their first graduating class was about to go out. Um, we took them to the playoffs four or five years. Um, so that's probably the spot where I learned, I don't wanna say the most, but kind of found out who I was as a coach there, um, coaching in Anglewood, in which is you know, not, not one of the better neighborhoods of Chicago. Um, loved it, loved my time there. Um, after their opportunity presented itself to get to Mount Carmel, um, actually right down the street from Urban Prep, just closer to the lake, Um, And then that's where I got introduced to to CCL or Chicago Catholic football. Um, Got a chance to study under Frank Lenti, who um, anybody who's anybody's going to know who Frank Lenti is, um, Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, that's a spot where I really learned how much I didn't know (laughs) as a coach. So I kind of thought I knew everything. And then I talked to Coach Frank for about 20 minutes and I realized I knew absolutely nothing. Um, Was there for three years. Um, and then, kind of, due to some unforeseen circumstances, I, I kind of wanted to step away from coaching, um, so I, I moved out to IC Catholic, which is in Elmhurst, Western Suburbs, um, and I took on the role as a, the athletic director there for two years. Um, it was good; it was I, I enjoyed my time there. But um, I started in July of 2017 or 2018. Um, I got to about Labor Day that same year and realized that I, I needed to get back into coaching. Um, you know, it didn't help that the I, I see football programs very, very good. Um, so I got to go out every Friday and watch a really good football team with a great environment. Um, you know, really kind of made me miss coaching and really kind of opened my eyes to the decision that I made was probably the wrong one. Um, was there for two years being the AD. Um, and then in 2019, uh, the St. Lawrence shop opened up and um, here I am.
2: So you just mentioned your journey. So we wanted to start out with kind of, when you're looking for those jobs, right? Obviously the first couple, you know, you were there, you kind of, you kind of found it, but then, you know, you went out and said, Hey, I want to maybe look here or look there. um. And you've had a variety of jobs, different places, right? So you have a lot of good experience. Um, if, if you're, you know, giving advice to a young coach, how did you go about that process of picking the right job for you? Maybe more personal for you, but just in general, because uh, I think it's a changing landscape in, in coaching right now. You know, there's a lot more factors. So, how did you go about kind of finding out if this is going to be the right fit? This is a good situation? All those things that go into it before you make the move.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I that's a great question. I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, you know, I actually turned down a head coaching job, man, probably about four years into being a head coach. Um, you know, I, at least in football, I'm not sure if it kind of crosses across other sports, but, you know, I, I come across a lot of young coaches. That are itching to be a head coach. Um, I got a couple guys on my staff right now that are 24, 25, 26. Um, and they're itching. You know, they want to sit in the big seat and they wanna make the decisions. Um, you know, so I talk to them a lot about, you know, it's 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 one of those jobs that it, it's great from the outside looking in. Um, but there's a lot of things you don't know once you sit in the chair that, you know, unless you live through it and, and go through it. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to tell younger guys that. So you know, like I said, my probably third year of coaching, I was 26. I got offered a, a head coaching job in the public league. Um, I was this close to taking it, to be honest with you. I went out to breakfast with the administrators. Everything looked good. Everything was great. Um, at that point, I didn't have any kids, you know, so it was it kind of worked out from a time timeline standpoint. But, you know, I, I kind of went home and thought about it and, you know, being being self-reflective, I think at, at that age is very important. Um, like I said, there's a lot of young guys that that want to get into it. Um, but at that point there was just something in me that that thought I wasn't ready. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a big believer in kind of paying your dues and you know, studying under people and learning as much as humanly possible as you can about the position before you take it. Um, you know, even the St. Lawrence job, I, at that point I've been coaching what, 15 years, 14 years. Um, and there was a lot of reservation. You know, there's a lot of reservations. It's it's the the Catholic League, you know, was I ready? Did I know enough? You know pretty much all the things that I kind of just talked about the things that go on behind the scenes that, that I was warned about, I shouldn't say warned, that makes it sound bad that I was instructed about, um, you you know, was it, was it the right time for me? And, you know, obviously in 2019, as I said, I was looking to get back into coaching and um, you know, jumped at it. But I think when you're looking at head coaching jobs, you have to factor in, as you said, everything is, is so different now. Um, You know, you have to look at the administration, you have to look at the school, um, You know, one of the reasons I left urban prep was the the school day got done at 430, you know, so we were starting football practice at five, you know, in the fall in Chicago gets dark by 450, you know, so it just something like that, you know, you have to kind of step back and look at everything, um,
0: you know, when you're trying to look for
1: that, that job.
0: So it's interesting. I know you and I have had this conversation off the air, but it kind of, it kind of plays into my next question, but also kind of some things you said there is I think everybody when they're 24, 25, 26, at least I can speak for the three of us thinks they're ready. And then kind of realize pretty quick, maybe I'm not so ready. I think, you know, with even us in our thirties and forties kind of realize even now, sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm not so ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. But something Todd and I have talked about, especially to some other coaches, are there's so many coaches coming and going in 2023 from different jobs. You see coaches taking one job in the summer and in that same summer, leaving for a completely different job. We've seen that a few times, at least on the basketball side. Uh, But we're also seeing coaches just completely leave the profession at at an extremely early age. So what do you think some keys are to kind of coaching longevity in 2023?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it's hard, you know, like you said, we've talked kind of offline about this. Um, you know, my mentor, Frank Lenty, I think was at Mount Carmel for 34 years or something crazy. I mean, just something that's, you know, in, in this day and age, I think it's hard to stay in one spot for, for 10 years, let alone 34. So, um, you, you know, I, I think it's kind of tricky. And I think there's a lot of things that do play into that longevity piece that I already kind of talked about. It's, you know, I think the administration at your school plays a huge role in that. Um, you know, do they support you? Do they support what you want to do? Do they support your vision? Um, are they on board? You know, do they want to win now? Do they give you a couple years? You know, I think those things all kind of factor in. And, you know, I think the unfortunate reason why a lot of at least the guys I know that got out of coaching, um, it, it's it's the increasing role of parents, <laughs> um, you know, and, and by increasing role, I mean, it's their their belief that they have some type of say in the program um you know I've talked to to a lot of guys about this especially head coaches is um you know you have your own program and you build things the way you want to build it um and it's almost like you're fighting you know during the school day and then you have to fight the same kids when they come back from from talking to their parents so and it's not all parents but you know it's one of those things it's 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 unfortunate that a couple bad parents can kind of ruin the whole experience but um you, you know a lot of the guys that I've talked to just within the last year, guys that have transitioned out of head coaching or even going to, to a different school, um, the overwhelming answer is, 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 you know, parents. You know, so to be honest, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I saw from an administrative standpoint at IC, um, you know, there's only so much you can do. But, um, you know, until the control or until the, the you know, I guess the, the bad parents kind of decided to take some step, steps back. Um, let the coaches coach, let the players play, which, you know, it's kind of a utopia, I think in 2023, 2024. But, um, you know, that's, that's, I think kind of the, the, the major thing. Um, And then obviously with longevity and this sounds really stupid to say, but I think it needs to be said is, is winning. Um, You know, you can get away with having kind of an average culture or you can get away with, you know, maybe having an administration that doesn't truly support you. Um, If you're winning and going 10 and three and 11 and one and 12 and two every year. Um, You know, I I think a lot of those shareholders are going to kind of be, I don't want to say forced to support you, but I think there's going to be a lot of, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure for them not to support you, you know, so winning across sports, I think that's a universal thing is, you know, obviously, the more you win, and, you know, we laugh all the time in this office, you know, everybody loves a winner, you know, and I I look at Coach Frank's experience, and I, I think he had 11 state championships in 34 years. So, you know, it's kind of hard not to support that program from somebody that consistently, you know, is going to produce out state championship ranks.
0: You know, I, I just wanted to follow because something we've talked about before and, and Todd and I have talked about this, but we've talked about it with a couple of guests too, is it, 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 it's too bad there's not some kind of like IHSA head coach mentor program where, again, not to say that w- the three of us are old or elderly, but yeah. where coaches like us that have been head coaches can take a first year head coach, uh, kind of one on one, almost like a student teaching program, or almost like a uh, like a mentor program for first year teachers in a building or a district, and and kind of just have somebody to to run things off of. Because I think you know you had a great advantage of having you know coach you know as a mentor and, and to kind of run things off of. But you know, do you think that could be something that would benefit coaches throughout the state in kind of some longevity? For sure. You know, we actually we, we have that in place in our building, you know, so I'm actually
1: I'm actually mentoring our, our um, boys lacrosse coach who last spring finished his first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually have that plan in place. It's my first year being a mentor here, so I can't really speak too much on it. Um, he's also on my football staff, though. So I've already kind of mentored him. Uh, I don't say unofficially, but kind of, you know, doing what we do throughout the football season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, because there's a lot of times I think as a young coach, you know, if I didn't have anybody to bounce ideas off, or if I didn't have anybody to ask questions to, um, there were a lot of points in my career where I was, I was ready to hang it up, you know, just because you have so many things flying at one time. um, You know, if you don't know how to kind of prioritize them and, and, you know, figure out your time, you know, I I think that's a very uh, intimidating job to step into, especially as I said, as 24, 25, 26. um, Looking back at it now being 41, there's no way I was ready. Uh, There were absolutely no shot I was ready to be a head coach, but you know, I've I've had guys on my staff that have left to be head coaches and you know they'll 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 be the first to tell you, you know, maybe another year or two would have been good. Um, you know, but and, and I think it kind of goes into the to another idea of like when's the right time to go? You know, because there's there's points in everyone's career, it's like, well, I'm gonna do two more years. I'm gonna do you th- know, you know, two years turns into five years, five turns into seven. Um, so it's kind of one of those catch twenty twos, you know, is there is there a right time to leave? You know what I mean?
2: So I wanted to talk to you about your administrator role. I'm going to kind of uh, go add to this question a little bit, but uh, I think it's interesting. You obviously were a head coach and assistant coach and then administrator, right? You, you kind of had that, that experience. So as, as an administrator, how did you use your your coaching experience to kind of support your coaches and, and build your program, knowing the things that went into Being a head coach and assistant coach that a lot of people don't have any idea about, right? They just see, oh, you know, this is happening or this is happening or, what, whatever it may be. So, how did you use that head coaching and coaching experience to kind of develop your athletic program when you were in charge of it?
1: Well, you know, I think you already kind of hit it on the head. Is that you know, I, I came to the job with the idea and and the understanding about what most of the coaches were going through. Um, you know, there was a point with some of the other sports that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty knowledgeable guy with a lot of sports. You know, there were a lot of things I'll be the first to tell you lacrosse. I'm not the most knowledgeable guy about lacrosse. Um, you know, so there were times, you know, trying to figure out what the lacrosse coach out there, some of the issues he was having, um, you know, there was kind of some, some wiggle room, um, to try to kind of figure out those specific sports specific issues. But I think across the board, just kind of understand, like you said, you know, knowing what goes into being a head coach. Um, you know, knowing some of the stress that they have, knowing some of the issues that they're gonna have, um, my big thing when I was out there is, is I wanted them to know that I was there to support them. You know, so if there were parent issues, um, you know, I, I would be the middleman, so I'd mediate. But at the, at the end of the day, unless the coach is doing something completely egregious, you know, you're you're on my staff, you're part of this department. I'm I'm here to support you. You know, what whatever you need from me, that's kind of what my job is. Um, you know, me and Bill, the head football coach, have a good relationship to this day. Um, I still talk to Nancy, um, the former girls basketball coach, John, probably remember Kelsey, um, you know, she got out of coaching, but I, you know, still talk to her every now and then, um, you know, just letting them know that, that, that I get it, you know, and um, you know, being the administrator and, it, and and it's, it's funny, I'm kind of laughing now because it, it always kind of bothers me and uh, like PD meetings when administrators, like I used to be a teacher, my door is always open and I, that always kind of grinds my gear. Like, it, I don't know, something about that just bothers me. And then I found myself being the AD and one of the first things I opened up with was I used to be a coach and my door always open. And I was like, ah, wait, 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 wait. So I had to kind of reframe it. And, um, you know, it, it, it was it it was a really good staff, you know, even some of the sports that weren't as successful, um, really good people. And I think that's that's like 90 percent of the issue in administration is just finding the right people. Um, you know, we have guys I have guys on my staff now that I'll be the first to tell you and they'll tell you they may not be the most knowledgeable about football, but they're there for the right reasons. You know, and I think when I was building my staff, it wasn't so much like I need to go find the best, you know, girl soccer coach that I see or the best, whatever. It was like, let's go find the right people, you know, and after that, you can kind of get them more sports specific stuff, um, but really getting the right people in place. And I think once you get a good head coach, you know, I to, to, to be honest with me, once you get the right person in place, the rest of it's kind of easy.
2: All right. So second part of that question, I know you talked about it a little bit, but. You know, what ultimately made you go back and say, hey, you know, uh, this is great. You said you had a great experience, right? You loved it. But I got, I got to get back into coaching. What what kind of made you make that final decision and say, yeah, I got to do it?
1: Yeah. So to be honest with you, it was the lack of relationships. Um, being the athletic director, and it's the only time I've been the AD, so I can only speak from my experience. Um, it's very hard to forge meaningful relationships. Um, with student athletes in an administrative role, um, I've had really good ads that can do it very well. Me as an athletic director, as an administrator, it was really tough for me to do that because I feel like the only time the, the students saw me was something negative. Um, you know, I could go out to their practices and I can, you know, talk to them on the sidelines and everything, but it was, it was just a different dynamic I wasn't used to. And um, you know, prior to that, I was always a teacher and a coach. So you know, you're in the classroom, you see your kids all day. You go out to practice, you see them. You know, there's there's guys I I coached back in 2006 that are grown with families that I still talk to on a regular basis. So, you know, I was sharing the story with John is that I I started IC in July. So July one was my first like first day of work and they did their inner squad scrimmage like the last weekend in in August. And I went out to that scrimmage and something clicked where I was like, yeah, I I probably shouldn't have took this job, you know, because I could just see how their football staff was talking to the guys. so, I mean, I made it there for, let's see, July, August, about a month and a half before I realized that I probably made the wrong decision. But, um, you know, I, I, I kind of still hung around the football program. I, I didn't really, you know, give a whole lot of input, but, you know, just kind of hang around, talk to the guys, do a little bit of game plan and stuff. Um, you know, and then, as I said, I went into year two. I thought it you know, it was one of those kind of it's just the itch that's going to go away. Um, it got worse, you know, it didn't help. We won two state championships, my two years out there. So I'm seeing the celebration and, um, you know, planning all the celebrations, which I know didn't help, but, you know, after that second fall, so the fall of 2018, um, you know, it, something just kind of clicked. I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, it's a good job. You know, the money was okay. The commute wasn't the best coming from the South side of Chicago, but, um, you know, we were going to kind of make it work. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you know the 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 lack of relationships, you know, for two years that I had out there really kind of started to to grind on me. So, like I said, when when Lawrence popped open, and I think the spring of nineteen, um, I got
0: everything together and 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 applied. So, so a topic, and and Todd and I, we've talked about this before, but we haven't hit this in a long time, maybe a year. Um, but you know, something that we're seeing, and obviously we've hit a lot on in this first half of the episode is is coaches leaving official uh shortages across the state whether whatever sport um but i i, I kind of want to delve in to coaches mental health and maybe some things you do to support your own mental health uh maybe some things other coaches can do for their own mental health but just in general you know and you kind of hit on some of the reasons that the mental health has dropped but maybe what are some things that you do or you think can be helpful to others as far as uh coaches' mental health?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in the, in the day and age where now that, that's huge, um, you know, just within the last five years, just during my time at Lawrence, I mean, I've seen such a huge, a huge shift in mental health and how we view mental health. Um, and like you said, not even just with the players, but with the, with the adults as well. So um you know, I, I think the one thing that I really try to preach and the one thing I really try to focus on with my staff, um, you know, in some of my previous stops, the hours as a football coach in Chicago were absolutely absurd. Um, so I'm talking, you know, Monday through Friday, you play your game Friday. Saturday, you're in the office from like 8 to 5. Sunday, you come in and do a staff meeting like 9 to 4. Um, if you're in a Catholic school, you go out and recruit. You know, so some of the previous stops I was at, looking at kind of the coaching schedule. Um, so when I got this job, I, I I really kind of made it a point that, you know, Saturdays we come in as a staff, we're here from about eight to 10. Um, after that, I send everybody on their way. You know, a lot of my guys have kids and families, you know, go spend time with your families. Sundays were off completely, you know, go spend time and, and, and don't be a football coach. Um, you know, if you have kids, I, I, it's kind of crazy, but you know, a lot of guys, I, I if, if, um, you know, you want to bring kids up to practice, um, I think it's important. Like like I said, I have a, a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. I want them to see me more than, you know, just a football coach. You know, and I think it's important the other way that your players see see you as a dad. You know, it's not just Coach and yelling and screaming and and doing whatever. You know, they'll see my little son come run up and I'll hug him and kiss him. And, um, you know, for me personally, that that does a lot for my mental health. Um, you know, if, if if I go three, four days without really spending spending quality time with my kids and my family, like it kind of starts to turn left. Um, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit too, you know, it's, there's been some points this year and we were very, very successful this year where I got so caught up in winning and so caught up in, you know, we got to get the, the next game prep and the next game schedule and we have to do this. And, you know, I, I would sit in my office and realize like, I haven't seen my kids since Thursday, you know, cause we have a game Friday, we're here super late. Um, even with the weekends, I'm doing film. You know, if I say 10 o'clock, obviously I'm the head coach. So, well, you know, everyone else can go, but I'm gonna stay here till three. You know, so there's a couple of points this year where I I almost had to force myself to step away um because I could feel myself mentally starting to drain, you know. So I think that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, if 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 you're lucky enough to have somebody on your staff that, you know, is qualified to to deal with some of those issues, you know, we have somebody in house that, you know, her, her, her title is um, it's like director of sports performance or something along those lines. So she's like a mental skills coach. Um, you know, I've, I've sent coaches to her, you know, she's really for the players to be honest. Um, but I've sent some of my, my guys on staff, like, Hey, just go have a conversation. Um, but I think it's important that you address it, you know, cause otherwise, especially in football, I think you can really grind guys into the ground Um you know, when I was 24, 25, I had the energy and the wherewithal to do it. Now, with two kids and 20 years into coaching, it's a it's a little bit different now. So, um, you know, we we've done team yoga um, this the past couple summers, where I you know instead of lifting weights and screaming the entire time, which we do, um, you know, we we dedicate a time, you know, Wednesdays after practice, we all just kind of come in, uh, we do yoga. It's kind of a you know quiet, you know, meditation type thing to get their minds right, which you know, we've found a lot of success with, I know programs that have done it, that, that it didn't really work for them, but it works for us. So um yeah, I mean, those are just kind of a couple of things that, that we try to do.
2: All right. So before we kind of switch topics here, we call this halftime adjustment. So I wanted to talk to you, um obviously, you know, playbook, more playbook stuff, right? Yeah, sure. and I've always thought it's interesting football coaches how they have the, you know, their families of plays and their their different formations. So I'm gonna go families of plays because I think this can kind of help uh you know, basketball coaches organize their playbook as well and, and simplify, to be honest, because a lot of times you have to simplify. So how do you go about, you know, o- organizing like the kind of the families of, of plays you got to keep your playbook as simple as possible as simple as possible?
1: Yeah, I mean it. It would it would be surprising to a lot of people, and and, and you're gonna make me spill my secrets here, but it's okay. Um, you know, we really have five five base run plays. Um, you know, I think we do a really good job. We run our base five plays in a high school offense. We have five run plays, but we can run them out of a million different ways, and it's gonna look like it's something different, but it's really the exact same thing. So, you know, I think in terms of your your, your family of plays, you know, those five plays are our families. And then everything kind of offshoots that, you know, our, our, our passing game is also very simple. But once again, we're going to do a lot of different things by formation to make it seem like we're doing something different. Um, one of the first things as a football coach I learned, it was from um, another guy that was relatively, um, you know, he had about 40 years in the game when I moved to Chicago. And he told me, he said, with football coaches, you're going to get guys that want to do a million different plays from two formations. Or you're going to do two plays from a million different And it always kind of registered with me when I was a young coach and, you know, let's call it what it is. We have high school boys that we're working with and it really doesn't matter what what I know, you know, how much I know and how much I can do. It's really what they know and what they can do on the field. You know, so we really make it a point to keep things as simple as possible, Um, because we've seen times in my five years here where we've gotten too cute and too advanced where like you can almost see the wheels stop on the field. You know, it's like they just freeze. It's like, you know, their their controller ran out of batteries or something. Um, you know, so this year going into it, you know, I, I took over the offensive coordinator job. And the first thing I did is I went into our playbook and started just hacking stuff out, you know, stuff that looked really good and looked really cute and, and fun. Um, I said, you know what, we're not going to do that. And all summer we focused on five plays, did it a bunch of different ways. Um and and constantly checked in with our guys to make sure it made sense to them. Cause like I said, I think this is this goes across sports. It really doesn't matter what we know. You know, you could you could drop the best out of bounds playing basketball, but if you're if your five doesn't know she's a five, it, it doesn't matter, you know. So it's gonna look great. But um, you know, we we do a very, really good job as a staff to make sure our guys understand what we're doing, more importantly, philosophically. Um, I think that's the teacher in me. Like I'm always asking, well. Why would we run this? You know, we stopped in the middle of one of our playoff games in a pretty high leverage situation. And I asked the guys straight up, I was like, what do you guys want to run? You know, and this is when we needed a first down. And they all kind of looked at me and I was like, you guys know the stuff. I was like, what What do you feel comfortable with running? And they gave me a play. We ran it, got the first down and ended up winning the game. You know, but that's that's kind of the level of trust and the level of understanding that, that, that we need. Um, because with those guys doing that, that lets me know that they understand kind of philosophically what we do. You know, the other thing, which is funny, which it sounds crazy. I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not crazy. When we make our scripts for practice, um, there's there's a couple of times, and sometimes I don't do it on purpose, but a lot of times I do, where I'll, I'll I'll write down the wrong play. You know, so we'll be doing something, a team segment. I'll send a kid in with the wrong play, knowing the play won't work. And it's, it's, it's my test to see when they're in the huddle, if they're thinking about what's being called. And shockingly, or not shockingly enough, a lot of times you'll see them out there arguing, and then somebody will turn around and yell at me like, "Hey, we we can't do that. That doesn't." I'm like, "Okay, great. So run the right one." Um, but that's just kind of my test to make sure that they're thinking, you know. And, and there's been times in the season, this past season, you know, you get in the heat of the moment, you start calling things that don't make sense. Well, now you've done it in practice, and now you know, obviously, they've they've been kind of prepped for that moment. So sometimes I do it on purpose. Sometimes I I, I don't. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are just kind of some of the things we do. Like I said, we keep it simple. Um, we don't try to try to do too much. I think the the day and age of football. I was just watching Washington and Texas. I mean, that you can do a million things with those teams. And I think a lot of high school coaches really outcoach themselves, and they try to do too much with with too little. Um, you know, so you know, look at the guys. Look, look at who you have, and then tailor your offense or your defense based on on kind of who you got.
0: I, I think that's a, a great and simple quote. It doesn't matter what we know; it matters what the athletes have learned. I th- I think that's a beautiful thing everybody could take from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. So the second half of the show, we always have a topic with with our guests, and and something that Todd and I, as we were developing this episode, and I was kind of talking to you off air, is you know you you really did you you built the program from. Uh, program that's kind of started nine, nine and 15, I believe in the, in the last couple of years to yeah. a state championship game. So, you know, we, we really want to talk about a little bit of program building with you. So, you know, to start, I, I kind of want to talk about bigger, like a more of a macro view instead of the player and coaches view more to that administrative view, that the training staff view, the parents view, how do you create that kind of vertical alignment with everyone and the, the outer rim of your program. We'll we'll delve into the, kind of the player buy-in, the coaches, et cetera. But kind of how do you what are some ways you kind of develop that outer rim to align with your program?
1: Um yeah, I mean I I think the big thing with that with vertical alignment, um, the the thing that I've had, you know, some success with, I don't want to say that I've been perfect with it, um, but I think the big thing with that outer rim is is transparency. Um, I've seen a lot of really good coaches fail um, because nobody really knows what they're doing besides them. You know, so I, when I got the job, I was pretty transparent. I was pretty crystal clear with, you know, this is what I need from administration, you know, parents, this is what you're going to get. You know, these are the type of guys we're going to produce. Um, these are the values, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but even to this day with year, you know, going into year six now um, you know, you you have to be transparent with all the shareholders Um, You know, we do a pretty good job of putting things out on social media. Um, You know, we share our core values. It's not a secret. You know, I've I've worked with guys that everything within the program is top secret, which I never really understood why. Um, You know, so we try to share with our alums. We try to share with the parents, the administrators. Um, I got a great relationship with a lot of former players. So a lot of former players come back and when they can see the same message being spoken and the same thing being said, um, it really kind of turns into a self you know, like a self-revolving program. But I think with that outer rim, um, if you're not transparent, you're really setting yourself up to fail.
2: I'm going to follow that a little bit. So, um, you know, you you talked about transparency, right? But, but I think sometimes that gets maybe misconstrued, right? It's not, you're not being, I don't know, kind or, Right. you know, I'm not saying you're being belligerent or anything like that, but just being being honest and being transparent, you know, especially with players and and, and parents and, and, and even administrators. Like, yeah. so how do you kind of find that find that balance of of them understanding like, yeah, I'm still in your corner. I'm still still going to work with you. But at the same time, we, we have a job to do here and we have an ultimate ultimate goal of, yeah. you know, it's it as it has to say. You like you said before. It, you have to get. You have to get victories. You have to get W's. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, and and I think the second thing that kind of comes off off with the transparency is, is is consistency. Um, you know, if you ask any player, you know, kind of what the the main thing about me is, they're probably going to say that I'm pretty consistent. Um, you know, I, and I think piggybacking off that transparency thing is that you know I've found even even outside of St. Lawrence. You know, it, it's very hard for parents and administrators to get mad or to, to, you know, get upset. They may not agree with it, but if you're transparent with, hey, my rule is, you know, if you're late to practice, this is what happens. And as long as you as the head coach holds true to that and you start, don't start cherry picking and saying, well, I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm not going to hold you, That that's where coaches get in trouble, you know. So I think it's a fine line of, of you know, will the, will the parents and will the administrators agree? I guess with what you're doing, um, like you said, you can be transparent all you want, but if they don't agree with it, I think that's where the the vertical alignment kind of kicks in. So, um, you know, it, to to be honest, it's it's something that I think regardless of where you're at, and and I think I've seen kind of all walks of life with this, being in the public schools, charter schools, private schools. Um, there's really no magical formula. You know, I've had some really good administrators, I've had some really bad administrators. Um, you know, and, and it's really just you kind of being as consistent as you can be in terms of, look, this is this is what we're going to do. These are the types of kids we're going to produce. You know, these are the the community service projects we're going to do. Um, and I think where coaches kind of get a little, you know, I don't want to say get in trouble, where they start to kind of to tip is where you can be as transparent as you want. But if the administration doesn't agree with it, that's when you have to be able to sit down and say, you know, we have to be able to compromise and find that happy medium.
0: So I I think it's, it's it's interesting. Something I wanted to build off is, is something you kind of mentioned and I kind of just did the little little quick research is it seems like the, the school you're at, St. Lawrence, is really doing a great job of um kind of building the athletes, whether it's the director of sports, science and performance, whether it's as you said, kind of the academic advisor for the athletes or the performance coach, you know, it really sounds like they're building the whole athlete. Um, Todd and I were recently at a coach's round table for basketball, where there was uh, a counselor, a coach who was the counselor at the school, who was just the counselor for the athletes. You know, what do you think those kind of positions are are going to be, I don't want to say a fad, the fad is not the right word, but, but yeah. a new, a new step in athletic development at the high school level.
1: Uh, to be honest, yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, like you said, we we have a lot of people in place that service the whole student. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in schools where I've, I've had to be the head strength coach, the head football coach, the teacher, you know, kind of an academic advisor, you know. So here it's nice that we have, you know, if I have kids that have issues with grades in terms of, like, their transcripts, there's a point person to go to. You know, we still run grades and I do grade checks and all that fun stuff. Um but that takes a lot of stuff off my plate. You know what I mean? We have a director of strength, um, you know, that, that molds and creates workout plans. And, you know, the football guys do this and the basketball girls do this and girls tennis does this, um, you know? So there's those things that I think if your school is able and if it's if it's possible, you know, those things are only benefiting the entire student. Um, and it's not just the football thing too. Like, you know, cause there's a lot of times that it'll be like, oh, the football guys get there. Like, you know, we've had to wait our turn for, to, to lift for like girls tennis, which that's awesome. You know, like, so it's every single program gets the benefit of those, you know, kind of, um, not, not, not sports specific, but those, those individuals in the building that are there to, to service kind of the whole student. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think those types of roles will increase. Um, I could also see like a lot of dual roles, like you're going to kind of be a part-time teacher, part-time, academic advisor for your sport or or things of that nature because obviously with budgets and you know all that fun stuff it kind of depends on where you're at
2: so i wanted to get to the player side here um you know you had a record-setting season this year a tremendous season um but i want to kind of go back to when maybe you know you you weren't quite where you wanted to be um you know, how did you go about kind of getting that buy-in, you know, especially like when you first come in, right. It's something new. It's a new coach. They got to kind of figure out who you are. You got to figure out who they are. Um, and you, you got, you got your idea of vertical alignment, but you know, the players are in that alignment. So how did you kind of go about building the buy-in? And then the second part is now that you've kind of built it to where you have the success you want, you know, every year's different. You're not, Always going to go to a state championship or whatever. There's lots sure. of things that go into it, but how do you kind of maintain that to to stay where you want to be and but then continue to grow?
1: Yeah, I mean that the 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 first year the first year was interesting. Um, I'm doing a I'm actually doing a, a clinic talk in Iowa in March where I, I'm. This is kind of the whole purpose of the of my presentation is about culture building, and you know I'll never forget I got the job like Easter weekend of 2019. I came in that next Monday and started to meet individually with the guys. And I kind of laid out unofficially, you know, who we were going to be, what we wanted to do. Um, This is the type of guy you're going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I lost probably six or seven kids that first week of me just talking to them. They're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm out, you know? And and it was kind of an eye-opening moment of like, wow, like what is this really going to be like? And these are good football players. Two of them are division or currently division one football players, you know? So these are guys that would have been monster parts of our first year. Um, that were like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, You know, so that's something that we had to kind of navigate through and figure out, like, you need to be able to sell a vision, and you need to be able to sell what you want to do collectively. Um, And to be honest with you, that's very hard to do, especially as you said, being a first year coach, these guys had no idea who I was. Um, I remember I I came from IC, but when they looked up my resume, the first thing they saw was Mount Carmel. So the first thing they said is, we're going to be split back veer. we're going to run triple option, and I'm never going to get the ball. And that was a huge thing where I was like, we're not, but, you know, thank you for your concern. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, 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 a opening moment um, that first year we won the prep bowl, which was the first time Lawrence had won a prep bowl in like 40 some odd years. Um, you know, that was never the goal, but it was, it was a pretty good first year, kind of all things considered. Um, and then to be honest, the, the 2020 year, we would have been very good. Um, we were very junior heavy in 2019 um, I had some stud football players, we would have been year two into our system, year two into our culture, and then COVID hit, you know, so that that COVID spring with football was an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, and, and and I share with a lot of people, I mean, I think I learned more about myself as a coach that year, trying to motivate young men to play games that had no relevance. Um, you know, these guys that were seniors, that, as I said, they were very good, no state championship, no playoffs. So we pretty much had six scrimmages, you know, so that that year or that spring, you know, that that couple months was very eye opening for me with what you have to do to motivate, um, you know, guys to play. And then, you know, when I do this culture talk, you know, a lot of my focus is going to be on 2021 and 2022. Um, I think we were, oh, man, probably six and six and 12 ish or seven and seven and 13. Like we were not we were not very good. Um, you know we play a brutal schedule every year, um, but we we weren't very good. You know, so that's the time when you really realize: does your culture hold true? You know, do your guys rise to the occasion? Do they buy into what you're saying? Um, and you know, this year I think was kind of the fruits of our labor. Um, you know, the, the the current seniors this year were my first recruiting class from when they were in eighth grade. So these guys, when they got to Lawrence in eighth or their freshman year, I'm the only guy they knew. So my message was the only message that they heard. My expectations were the only expectations they heard. Um, And is that the only reason? No. But I do think that that does play a pretty big role. And, you know, like you said, now we should be pretty good in 2024. Um, Same thing with, you know, our current juniors who will be seniors. I'm the only guy they know. They know the expectation. They've seen us get there. So a lot of the hard work is done. But, you know, like you said, you have a brand new team coming in this year. And, you know, you have to kind of adjust with what you do with the guys you have.
2: So uh, this just kind of popped in my head when you're talking, you talked about the, the motivation factor, right? And, and I think that's talked about a lot, but you have to find a way to, to foster it, right? The, the effort and, and, and the motivation and each player is different, right? They have different reasons and this and that. So, you know, I guess kind of what, what you learned during that, that COVID year, because we, we both coached during the COVID year. I took my first head coaching job during the COVID year, and I tell oh, you, wow. boy, wow. That, was, awesome. that was a something, <laughs> right? Um, but, um, you know, what do you do to kind of to foster that motivation and, and uh, I guess, efforts probably an overused term, but yeah. really in football, like... You can't go half speed because you're either going to get knocked on your rear end or you're going to get hurt or yeah. whatever whatever it may be. Um, There's really no break. So how did you foster that motivation and effort?
1: Yeah, so I mean we we kind of started small um, with what we did, and you know it's going to sound very cliche. Maybe it maybe it doesn't sound cliche, but like you know when I got here, football really wasn't cool. Um, Football wasn't the thing to do. We have a very successful baseball program, you know, so that's kind of what guys did. You know, so we had to start very small with you know, finding a way to make guys feel good about being a football player. Right. So even something as little as, you know, we would, we would recognize guys that had perfect attendance for the week lifting. Now, if you go to a lot of the other more traditional schools, they'll kind of laugh at that. Like, well, guys just show up on their own. Well, we we didn't have that. You know, we had guys that would show up on Monday, take Tuesday, Wednesday off, maybe show up Thursday and then take a three day weekend, you know? So we had to kind of start small with like, if you put the work in, you know, this, this is what you could get. And and it's not expensive. So like the, the number one thing I always fight with people, you know, we don't have that budget and we can't do this. Like there got to a point that I was buying literally bags of suckers or something stupid. And and, and it sounds so dumb to do that, but you, like you gotta be able to foster that. Like, why am I putting this work and especially off season for football when it's cold and they're getting up at five in the morning to come lift and it's, it's eight degrees out. Like you have to be able to, to, you know, show them the dangling carrot, you know, symbolically, like, what are we doing this for? You know, and in those early years of us doing that, now we're to the point that I don't have to do that. You know, they just know the expectation is you're here five days a week. If you're not, here's your consequence. You know, we'll still recognize and honor, you know, like the thousand pound club. Um, we're big into competition. So like our off season program turns into we call them color wars. So it's like team pink versus team blue, and it's a whole it's a whole to-do. Um but that off-season program kind of makes it, I don't want to say fun, um, but it but it gives the guys something to look forward to that they know if they put the work in, they're going to see the results, you know, in the fall. And like over the the whole course of the off-season, I said a million times, like championships are one in the winter. Like you don't win it in the fall, like you win it right now. And, you know, the first time I said it, it, it didn't really resonate. And then the more I say it, you know, you hear guys in our program, like if a guy misses lift, they'll go in and say that where it's like, I have to take a step back as the head coach, like, holy cow. Like that, that's starting to resonate now. Like that's the culture you want to instill where it's like peer to peer accountability, I think is, is by far the most important thing. You know, if I'm not hawking guys down in the hallway, like, why'd you miss lift? If my captains or their teammates can do that, I'm that, that's unbelievably powerful. And like the team we had this year in my five years and probably in my 20 year career, I mean, these guys Got after it, you know, so if something bad happened, very rarely did I have to step in. And, you know, I I think that's a direct result of your culture, you know, and and there are going to be times because they are high school boys where, you know, like we've almost had guys come to blows, you know, because somebody's gotten mad that somebody missed lift. Somebody didn't know why. Um, But I think that's a really powerful piece of your culture is, you know, when guys start holding each other accountable, you know, that that's
0: is unbelievably cool and, and really, really powerful to see. For sure, and I, I I laughed when you when you were talking about the suckers. But it is sometimes those those little motivators, even in my day job, a a jolly rancher goes a long, long way. It's so it's so stupid. Like people still laugh at me though. Like it's high
1: school boys. They don't want like you'd be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but you'd be shocked to like, you know, we do we do um we do uh like helmet decal stickers, like award stickers. You know, so if they make a big play on Friday if they make a good tackle, a sack, we have a whole mathematical formula. So like how many stickers do you get? And these are stickers about this big. So we give them out Saturday mornings and they'll come in and get upset. If, you know, somebody got five and somebody got seven, like they'll get upset about it. Like how come he got two more? Like, and these are stickers that are this big, you know, they have no relevance, but it's something that, you know, they can show on their helmet. Like, Hey, these are all the good things that I did and it's not candy, but it's, to me, it's the exact same thing. You know, it, it's, is small things to show them like their hard work is being appreciated, you know, whether it's a sticker or whatever the case may be, a t-shirt, like, like the guys we had my first year were huge t-shirt guys. So, you know, we could get t-shirts for like three bucks, get a very simple iron press, you know, put St. Lawrence Vikings or football on it, press it, you know, and and, and go. So um, like I said, year five of the program, I, I've finally been able to kind of take a step back from that, but I think in those early stages, especially if you're in a spot that doesn't really value or i don't want to say take serious but you know whatever sports you're coaching if 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 you're in a spot that it's maybe historically hasn't been successful you gotta you gotta recognize everything you know we used to recognize guys that were in the right lifting uniforms and that that's just the way it is you know now obviously we don't do that, but you know you gotta you gotta celebrate the little things you do.
0: So something we really haven't talked about <clears throat> with uh, with program development is scheduling and, and preparation. We have, we haven't really touched on this in a while, and you know you mentioned you play in the Catholic League. I also I also coach in the Catholic League. Todd and I used to both coach in the East Suburban, so we understand. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, so but you know, going into each week when you're preparing on your schedule, you know, week to week, every game is is tough. So how what's your balance of kind of looking for the players, uh, the, the opponent's strengths and weaknesses, but also kind of finding ways to use your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. While, as you kind of said in, in halftime adjustments, Todd and I are also big on not giving them too much. So kind of, how do you kind of balance all of that, uh, week to week in preparation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the one thing that we do and, and I, I told myself when I got the head coaching job, like, one of my biggest pet peeves as a football coach is, is coaches, and maybe this is across sports, coaches that coach for like, or practice for like three hours or three and a half hours. And you think those are successful practices, you know? So just cause you're out there longer, it means it's a better practice, which that that always, that has never made sense to me. You know, so in season stuff, we, we only, I mean, we're on the field stretching by 3.15. We're off the field, walking off by five. Um, we're very condensed. We're very efficient with what we do but I've never seen value in holding whatever team you coach out there for three and a half hours, even in the summer, you know, it's, it's, um, I think summer for football always kind of turns into like, let's see how long we can hold these guys out there. You know, if your team's dragging, dragging into August, your week one, like you, you've kind of defeated the purpose of what you want to do, you know? So um, in terms of like week to week planning, you know, we, we're very heavy with, with stuff on Mondays, um, Like I said, we'll do team film uh, Monday morning. Uh, We'll do defensive film afterwards. And then I guess offensively, at least I can kind of speak on like, we're not going to change who we are. You know, there's a lot of guys, at least football wise, you're going to change your philosophy. You try to do too much. Anybody that plays us know this is what we do. Like these are our plays. Um, You know, Coach Frank always told me, it doesn't matter if they know what's coming, they still got to stop it. You know, so I've, I've always kind of bought into that philosophy of, you know, you need to hold true to who you are, you know, defensively, I think it's a little bit different. Um, You can have your base defensive philosophy, but you do have to adapt a little bit based on what your opponent's doing. Um, But like I said, during the week, we're very efficient with what we do. We're very quick. Um, You know, we, we track our guys huddle time, you know, so I'll I'll come in Monday morning. Um, You know, if we win Friday night, the film for the next opponent will be up by Saturday and then I'll come in Monday morning and track and see who's who's already watched film of the upcoming opponent for that Friday. Um, you know, it's nothing official. I don't like punish guys, but I I do make it known and I do public call outs with, hey, man, you've watched zero film and it's Monday, you know, what's going on? So, um, you know, but in terms of scheduling and stuff, you know, we don't really flip our schedules. We don't really change things up, um, you know, unless we need to. Um, I do a captain's meeting every Monday morning where they're kind of the pulse of the team um, where they'll come in and say, coach, you know, it's kind of monotonous. I feel like we're doing this, you know, the same drills and this, um, you know, so we'll sprinkle them. We call them competition periods, you know, we'll stop what we're doing and do like, you know, a big man punt return. Uh, we'll do a field goal kicking contest. Um, I, I've linked up with the soccer program and I have done penalty kicks like right in the middle of practice, just to kind of, just to kind of break up that, um, you know, monotony of practice, but overall I'm, I'm a pretty consistent guy. I don't like to change things up a lot. So, um, you know, we kind of stay true to who we are and, and, and that schedule, but, um, you know, we don't let the the opponent determine it. So we played some, some really good teams. Um, this is how we're going to approach it. You know, this is how we're going to prep for it. Um, we really don't get caught up into who we're playing or, you know, trying to change who we are based on who we're playing.
2: Got a lovely big man punt catching contest. That's classic. It's always, <laughs> it. it's always good entertainment, right?
1: Yes, it is. I love
2: it. So last question before we get to our, our closing segments. So now the plan after the success, right. To, to, to keep that growth going, right. Obviously. Yeah. You want to maintain where you're at, but you still have to keep getting better and better and better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And keep, keep developing. So, you know, how do you kind of prevent people from your, 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 returners from relaxing getting, Oh, well, Hey, we're St. Lawrence. We're going to come up here and we're going to, we're going to play and we're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, And, and still pushing for that future success and to get better.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, we start off offseason live January 22nd. You know, I, the, the first thing I'm going to tell the guys that are coming back is like the whole message now moving forward is, 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 you know, now what, okay, what do we do? We got there. Uh, we didn't win which, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's a blessing and a curse Um, because the juniors that were on that team sat in the locker room at Illinois State, watched everybody cry. They felt the pain, which I, you know, at the time it sucked. It was, it was terrible. But now looking back at it, you know, and I told them uh, at our banquet, I said, if that's not motivation enough for you to come back and want to go harder and and do more and, and try to figure it out, like, you know, you're probably in the wrong program. So, you know, to me, the message is always pretty simple following those, those, successful years, it's, okay, we got there, but, but, but now what, okay, can we do more? Um, You know, what do we need to change? And and I'm having a staff meeting coming up in a couple weeks. Like we need to step and look, step back and look at the guys we have coming back because it's going to be a very different team, you know? So we need to evaluate as a staff, what do we want to look like for 2024? Because the team that we had in 2023, it, it, it it's not going to be that in 2024, you know? So I think everybody collectively has to kind of step, take a step back and say, You know, what are we going to do moving forward to make sure we get back there and make sure hopefully we win it, um, you know, versus just getting there. But I think there's a lot of self-reflection and it starts with me, you know. So what do I have to do? Do I have to bring better coaches in? Um, You know, do we have to change our offseason program? Um, I I think the offseason, at least for football, is very self-reflective with, you know, we had a great season. Let's let's keep the stuff that works. And then the things that we didn't like or the things that kind of held us back, let's scrap those. Let's try to find something that that kind of fits us better.
0: So as we get into our last two segments, the first one we call 30 second timeout. It's your opportunity to discuss anything you want to discuss. It could be about yourself or your family or your program or something completely outside of coaching in your program that you just want our listeners to know about, or you can turn the tables and ask Todd and I a question, Um, whatever the, whatever you would like, this is kind of your, your platform.
1: Wow, uh, I didn't know I was going to be put on the spot. Okay, Um, I will I will turn the tables back on you guys. Okay. Um, what was your biggest challenge once you've reached a certain level of success? Okay, so not, and I'm not sure how you deem success. Maybe it was I don't know a regional championship, sectional, whatever. Like coming off your coming off your your most successful year. What was like your biggest challenge? An interesting question that,
2: that's that's a really tough question you can go first on that one you John.
0: <laughs> yeah you know I I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this twofold because you know Todd and I um we coached together uh when we were at St. Viter, and you know we kind of helped build a program that was kind of in last place in the conference to um its first regional in a really long time and you know I I think you know one of the one of the things was i don't think the coaching staff ever got satisfied and i think that kind of just bled through to the the student athletes which is why i think same biter uh, you know was successful for an extended period of time as far as at res in my eight years since i've been the head coach you know i i think it and, and, I, and I don't usually say things like this, but I, but I do think it starts at the top. And I think it starts with your level of satisfaction and your your want. And then it kind of bleeds into your assistants, which then bleeds into the kids a little bit. Like we, for the first time last year, my assistants um, and I sat down and we did a what we call the coaches summit, which I stole from another uh, guest, Mike Bailey. But I gave each of them something they're in charge of throughout the whole off season. Um, and then they had to present a way we were going to do it differently to the coaches and then we discussed it and then we came up with how we wanted to improve it and i think that really gave our coaches a, a lot of ownership um in kind of how they wanted to improve that thing and 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 then i kind of just let them run with it all season um and that that's kind of what we've done halfway through the season um so i th- i think that was so much better than than me just saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. You know, I, I kind of let them be the head coach of that specific area and and kind of let them run with it. So I would say that's definitely something that has helped us kind of reinvigorate ourselves, I guess, to say. Yeah. um,
2: I'm going to go on the same page as John, but I, I think it's kind of like you said, finding what's going to work for that next group, right? The temptation is to, hey, we did this last year, this worked. Uh, this worked against this team, we're you know, um, so kind of finding what's gonna work for that group, whether you have more size, more guards, what whatever it may be, every every year is going to be different. You're gonna stick to your core core standards, right? And your your core things, but there's different ways to, to tweak it. Maybe you know, one year you trap to pick trap to pick and roll. Well, you yeah. might not have the personnel to do that. So every year not saying, yeah, we can just run the same thing back and, and and be good in the form it was last year. There's always something to tweak or, or, or adjust to, to the players you have. Because like, like John said, when we were at Viter, um, you know, first year we had a very different group than the next year. Right. And then you got a new group coming up and you have people leaving. And um, so you, that's, that's always the challenge of not, Uh, of being confident in yourself as a coach and and not saying, Oh, that we're going to do it this way. And this is how we're going to do it. Just finding, finding a way I'm a big on finding a way, whatever that way has to be that year. um, That's, that's how you got to do it.
1: Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's interesting too, is like, you know, so (laughs) this year was like a year of first for us. Right. So like, especially in the postseason, like every single game was like, you know, this is, this is the first, the first first round playoff game in the last four years here. And we win. this is the first time we're in the second round. This is the first quarterfinal win since 2016. This is the first semifinal win. This is, I mean, everything was a year of first. And like, I got to a point when we were doing that, where I kind of stepped back and thought like, well, what happens if we do it again next year? Like using that as like being the first, like it's the first time we did this, which is great. I think that motivated guys this year. So like they wanted to be the first team to go to a state championship since 1979. Great. They did it. That's awesome. So now if we get in the same spot next year, now it's like, well, what, you know, what do we do or what do I do? Or what does the staff do? What what can you use to motivate? Because now it's not like, now it's not the first time being there. Like now, what can you say or use or, or whatever the case may be to motivate those guys if you get back in that same spot. So, I mean, that's something I've thought about, even after, you know, we played the day after Thanksgiving, and I already started thinking about like, you know, what angle do we need to take to make sure that these guys show up just as hungry as they were, you know, summer of twenty
0: twenty
2: three. Well, go ahead, Jeff.
0: I was just going to say the other thing I I think I've learned over the years, and and I and, and I'm going to steal it from a football coach is, you know, Nick Saban's really big on the process and not everything being so transactional. And you know, it's it, you're successful because you won this, or you're successful because. It's more just kind of winning. I we just had a a speaker who Todd and I had on as a guest. I had speak to my team, Shimmy Gray Miller, and her one of one of her things was like lessons from she referred to it as lessons from an old lady to young ladies what that she wished she would knew, and and one of the things she kind of said to them was just simply like just be good at that day and then go to sleep and then the next day be good at that day, um and I I think it's. I have found at least it's a little bit easier to motivate if you're trying to motivate those small chunks, than kind of like saying your greatest motivation is something that's 11 months from now, because then the kids are kind of like, okay, coach, but I could take it easy today. It's 11 months from now. So kind of, I don't know if that makes sense, but those littler holes kind of, I hate to use like the sucker idea, but maybe this is the social worker in me, the those little incentives for the behavior, I think, go a longer way than you know. Hey, our goal is eleven months from now.
1: Right.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, I, I, you were talking about the little motivations. I, I found when we were at Bider, so we would every year, that first year, you know, you you win a regional, and the number's not up there, right? You have the banners in the gym, or whatever, and uh, we we taped up, we taped up our numbers up there, and our, our kids every year. We won a what was it seven years in a row, John? I think seven right. or eight, eight regionals in a row. They were they were always always looking, and usually it was kind of a good motivator in the summer because the number wasn't up there by the summer. You know how that goes, right? <laughs> and the tape was still up there, but you kind of had a re- okay, hey, now we start the process process again, and let's see if we can put it put another number up there. And but it takes that every day of of working but once we get the play up then that was a motivator them. they looked at it like oh let's get another number just something something super simple but for they sure. would climb up on the bleachers because the bleachers wouldn't be out Tape it up there get jacked about it so that was always one of those little things that you kind of just keep in the back of your mind yeah for sure all right so now we're gonna go to our quick hitters right kind of random rapid fire questions uh some football related uh, maybe not any super football related but it's it's okay just to have some fun uh first one are you going out or staying in for new year's guy maybe it changed maybe it's changed over the years because i know it has.
1: that has changed drastically um (laughs) i think from see i moved to chicago in 2006 i think from 2006 to 2000 man probably 13 i was going out That's, that's what i wanted to do um Yay. We had my daughter in 2014 and that quickly ended. And since 2014, I've been a stay in. Um, we just had it obviously a couple of days ago. I did make it till midnight, uh, which I was shocked, but I made it to midnight um, and I was in the bed by 1215. So uh, yeah, moving forward, I don't really see myself going back out for, for New Year's.
2: I think I made it to like 1205. Yeah. It. It's like, <laughs> right. All
1: right, right. Good enough.
0: All right, so I, I actually tweaked this one just because I, I think this would be interesting and I think entertaining for our, our listeners is, what was like your one of your greatest things that you can remember from like growing up into Iowa to like, oh, I live in Chicago now moments? Oh, man, there's a lot. <laughs> um, so let's see. So yeah, my
1: my high school uh, my high school in Iowa was extremely small. Um, I think I had like 55, 56 in my graduating class. Uh, we went to high, or we went to kindergarten through 12 with the same cohort of, of, of students. Um, I don't want to say it was your traditional small town of Iowa, but my grandparents grew up on a farm. So that whole farm thing and corn uh, is real. It's a real thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. So I moved in 2006. Um, the biggest thing, and I share this story as a teacher, um, I had no idea what public transportation was. So when I got to Chicago on buses and trains and all this stuff, I had no idea what to do. Um, I didn't know what costed money. I didn't know how to read a map of the L and where I was trying to go. Um, you know, my town had one blinking stoplight. So (laughs) even seeing stop, I mean, I know what a stoplight is, but even seeing stoplights, I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Um, yeah, it was a huge culture shock, you know, even, and I've been here now for what, almost 20 years. And, um, you know, what, what, I don't know what the saying is you can take the, take the boy out of the small town or whatever that one is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be a small town guy at heart. so. it's funny now when we go back and visit small town, my wife's from Chicago and she has the reverse culture shock of like, what do you guys do? Like nothing's going on. There's no cars on the street. You know, <laughs> it's very, it's very slow for her. So it's, it's nice to see somebody go through the same struggle, but on the, the opposite way.
2: All right. Your uh, pump up pregame song. What do you go
1: with? Oh man. So the, the, the song of this year, year, year was a uh, starship nothing's going to stop us now, which is an absolute banger. If you haven't heard it, uh, that turned into our, our playoff song um, of 2023. Um, I've heard bad, bad Leroy Brown come out of our locker room. Uh, we, we, we have some absolute clowns. And I'm saying this with love as players where some of the stuff they listen to, like this group love, love Creedence Clearwater Revival. And I'm like, are you guys 60 year old men in 18 year old bodies? You know, so <laughs> kind of depends on the group i've heard Lil john come out of the locker room uh me personally i don't really you know as a coach i don't have to get pumped up too much but my pump up music has kind of morphed into whatever the guys listen to and that turns into turns into my song too
0: um all right here's a unique one maybe a stadium that you'd like to coach in like you're like man i wish i could coach in blank could be high school college pro oh man um so my favorite high school stadium that I actually
1: got the first chance to be a head coach in was this year. Um, I love Gately Stadium. I absolutely love Gately. Um, Gately gets a terrible rap for a variety of reasons. Uh, when I was at Carmel as an assistant, we co- or you know, we were there. That was our home field before they built their stadium. Um, I love Gately. I think Gately is an awesome high school stadium. So we played CBS Round One, and that was my first game coaching at Gately. Um as a head coach. So that's kind of one thing off my bucket list. Um college stadium would be kinnick I'm from Iowa. So that's always kind of my goal. Somehow, some some way, um, get a coach there. And then honestly, pro stadiums to be to me, they all look the same. They're all like spaceships and all these like billion dollar infrastructure. And um, I'm not sure if there's really a a true throwback. I I I'm not a I'm not a Green Bay guy, but Lambeau, you know, just kind of being traditional would be, would be pretty cool.
2: I gotta ask, could you find more way to score more points for Iowa? Find
1: a way? <laughs> you know the the amount of the amount of people that have sent me that job <laughs> description that got posted has been pretty alarming. So, <laughs> yeah, we we watched our game against Tennessee, and um, yeah, I'll will just leave it at that.
2: I mean, I think there's only one way to go. It's a pretty low bar, ain't it?
1: Correct. Yeah. Correct. You know, having 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 the injuries then help, but um, yeah, it's you know I've I've turned into a fan of punting um, the last couple go. of years. So, <laughs>
2: uh, a guilty food that you eat,
1: guilty food that I eat. Um, oatmeal cream pies, oatmeal oh, cream ooh. pies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I used I to be a, a big little Debbie guy. Um, uh, oh, my, man. my father was like, he probably bought little Debbie out of their business. So it would be like the Swiss cake rolls and the Susie Q's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so that growing up, that's what, that was the thing. And then the oatmeal cream pie always kind of stuck and you got your variety, the big one, the small one, the double stuff one, it's, you can take that a lot of ways. So usually there doesn't, a, a, a day that doesn't go by that um, there's usually a cream pie somewhere around.
0: <laughs> All right, last one. Something that your players make fun of you for.
1: Oh, everything, <laughs> everything. Um, Man, so there, there's a lot of times that I'll I'll bring, going back to the small town, I'll bring up a, a, a small town saying back that you know, I'll say it to try to show anger, but they don't know what it means. So it comes off like, what are you what are you talking, <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, my, my high school position coach, I'll never forget, told me I was about as useful as a screen door on a submarine. And um, I actually said that once this summer and I, I was mad. I was like, you know, I said it and the kid just stopped and looked at me and he was like, what? And he, everyone just started dying laughing and I started laughing because I realized that, that you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> I have duck calls. So being a small town guy, I'll bring my duck calls out and just start hammering duck calls in the middle of practice. Um, they think that's hilarious. Um, I love the word scumbag. I, I tell them all the time, don't be scumbags and they just think that's the funniest thing on earth. Um, so yeah, usually it it kind of centers around from my small town roots um, with me forgetting that I'm in Chicago. Sometimes and I, I get stuck back in the country.
2: Now, could you use your duck calls as play calls? Could, could be, uh, You could be an innovator.
1: Yeah, I, I could. Uh, that would take some practice and that would take yeah. a lot of understanding on their
2: end. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it might be it could be like what you know, instead of the signs, right, that have random stuff on it. You could just duck calls. It was Correct.
1: Awesome. Yeah. We we, we tried well, I tried one time to to replace my whistle. Like I'm not the biggest fan of the whistle sound. Um so I tried to replace it with the duck call and that just went left very quick, that nobody stopped <laughs> doing anything and they just thought there were geese flying above heads. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's something like I said, I'll, I'll bring out just to, uh, just yeah, to fun. hammer them for a little yeah. bit. And they just think it's the, the funniest thing ever. And I have to explain the whole concept of hunting, which they don't yeah, understand. They, either, right, so right, that's right. interesting.
2: Exactly. Well, coach, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, you know, your, your multiple experiences and your, your success where you've been programs is, is so awesome. And, you know, I've written down a couple of things here and and, and ideas, so uh, I know our listeners are gonna gonna get ideas from you and and be able to try things for their program. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, no
0: problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the IBCA. Please be sure to rate us on whatever platform you are listening and give us a five-star rating. For more show content and updates, please follow us on Twitter at AfterTheTimeOut. As always, thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.